best way to learn Retracing your steps till you know Welcome back to Empowered Former LDS, the podcast. I'm Glenn Osland, and this is episode five, Todd Enger and the liberating power of asking questions. Liberation, you say? Liberation from what? Is there really power in asking questions? Do we all see the world through unique lenses? If we are looking at the world through unique lenses, is it really the world that we see, or is it the characteristics of those particular lenses? Can stories, beliefs, and expectations be considered lenses? What is confirmation bias? What is metacognition? What does it mean to lose yourself, to come back to yourself? Is it possible to heal and alleviate our own suffering? What's the difference between taking responsibility for the suffering caused by our own distorted thinking and gaslighting or victim blaming? Are there hidden opportunities on the other side of suffering? And what does Todd want people to know? They may feel the pain they feel acutely, but they can't see that it has the potential to lead someplace awesome, someplace awesome, awesome, awesome. Lots of questions there, huh? Do you feel liberated yet? No? Are you a little confused by all these questions? Do you want to just skip to the end and hear what it is that Todd's building up to? Well, all right. Here you go. If we look at life like it's a problem, if we look in terms of there's a problem with me, there's a problem with life, we're going to see problems. We're applying a lens of problem solution. But if if, if you change that just a bit and go, what is this trying to teach me? What can I learn from this? How can I use this? Over time, you're going to see that you learn from everything and that you can trust something greater than yourself. Just yeah. through the simple act of everyday living, whatever that looks like in your life. Yeah, so that's uh, Todd's main point. And now if you want to stick around to see how we get there, hang on. <laughs> With no further ado. So let's let's start with this, Todd. Um, why don't why don't you give a little bit about your background um, and especially uh, how it relates to the Mormon Church? And we don't need to be any more than five minutes with this. In fact, what, what, if if Wendy were here right now, what she likes to say is, "Here's here's my story. I was born in a cult. <laughs> what did she say? She says I was born in a cult. I woke up and realized that I was in a cult. I got out of it." And now I'm working to uh, help people and untangle myself from all of this stuff. It's something like that. Yeah. Um, so what, what, whatever your version of that might or might not be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, you know, I have the same story then uh, as Wendy. Um, I, I think uh, it, it's, it was interesting for me, uh, you know, I'm fifth, sixth generation. I don't know what, family goes back to the Nauvoo days. So it was totally ingrained into my family, into my upbringing. And the question, it just never occurred to me. And it's kind of funny how it began to, I think, you know, I can only see in retrospect that it wasn't working for me at some level. Yeah. And, uh, but I remember um, once 
I was actually sitting in church and it was fast and testimony or it was a, you know, it wasn't fast. It was a, a what do you call it? The, just a sacrament meeting. Okay. And uh, the speakers ended with about 10 minutes to spare, you know, and heaven forbid they actually let us out early, early, <laughs> you know, the bishop decides to get up there and fill the time. Yeah. And he said, you know, you know, it's important to obey the commandments, to pray, to pay your tithing and do your home teaching, you know, just standard stuff. And I, I swear, like I, I heard a voice or at least it was the thought that was so foreign from me, but it happened in my head and it said, that's a self-reinforcing feedback loop. Wow. And did you know what I, that meant? A self-reinforcing oh, feedback loop? Oh, hell yeah. And uh, so <laughs> I, 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 I looked around like, uh, did somebody say that, you know, cause it, it shocked me. And so that was where the crack happened. Mm. I, I realized that within that system, no new information could enter. Interesting. How, how did, how did, how did that pop into your head that it's a, and, and repeat it again. It's a self-validating feedback loop. It's a self, a, a self-reinforcing reinforcing. feedback loop. So it was circular logic. Yeah. Is that, so what, what, what do you do for a living? Is, um, is that something that informed your awareness of that? I was in it. Yeah. Um, but I do a lot of reading and I've always mm -hmm. been into philosophy and um, logical fallacies, you know, just all, all these kind of things. Um, looking at things critically, but it was funny that I saw everything through a Mormon lens and didn't apply my critical thinking to that lens. Right. Sure. Yeah. That's the, um, the power of confirmation bias. Like every single one of us is stuck inside. You know, like we we're blind to what we can't see. And we don't even exactly. know the things that are influencing us in ways that they're influencing us. It's, uh, it's just so hard to see that. Um, all and the that, time. that's a theme that's been really on my mind um, lately is because that doesn't stop with the Mormon church. Right. You know, that, that confirmation bias, you don't see the lens that you look through. Mm -hmm. You just assume it as a coefficient one. Right. It's just there. It's just what is. Right. Um, but one of the things I think that has really led me to empowerment is to step back and go, what lens am I looking through mm. right now? Yeah. How, what is the orientation of it? Is it self-oriented? Is it um, what am I assuming? What other way? Could I look at this? And as soon as I start asking questions, the lens disintegrates or reshapes. And by having that kind of flexible mindset, you know, that comes with metacognition of being aware that you're aware, you can adjust the lens that you see things. And yeah. so I thought at first when I deconstructed the church and I'm left with the rubble and no answers where I had them and only questions. I saw then that the mind was extremely powerful. Yeah. I mean, how could I live my entire life 
make decisions about my money, my marriage, my everything based on a lens. And what, you know, kind of what I, I think the post that got your attention was that I had studied Kabbalah, I had have apprenticed with uh, Blackfoot Medicine, and all of those are different lenses to view reality. And having been able to take a lens and try it on like a pair of glasses and take yeah. it off and put another one on has really opened my mind. I'm really glad that you said it that way, Todd, because the, the thing that jumped out to me when you said that you want to look at the lens that you're looking through because we, we don't really understand what lens we're looking through. And so you start asking questions about it. And one of the questions that you said was, what else could this be? Like, is there another way of interpreting things that are going on right now besides just the way that naturally would come to me? And I, I'm assuming that once you realize, oh, I, there's this way of seeing things, that would be valid. There's this way of seeing things, that would be valid. This way of seeing things, this way is valid. That you start recognizing, oh, okay, there, there, is, there is some kind of a construct going on in my perception of reality. Whereas before I just thought it is, because I'm perceiving it this way, this is just how it is. But now you're much more aware of the things that are influencing how you see reality and you recognize that uh, there are multiple ways of viewing it. Did, am I summarizing that correctly, Todd? You, you, you are spot on. You nailed it. Um, I think the other dimension that kind of comes out of that that isn't explicit is I have to disidentify from my perspective. The simple f- act of doing that allows me to disidentify from it. Mm. I'm, I'm not embedded in my perception anymore. Yeah. And that gives me a choice. And it allows me, you know, say, even in an interpersonal situation, I can, it, by disidentifying with it, by seeing what lens I'm looking at, I'm, I become neutral. I'm not obsessed with what it means about me or what it says about me. Yeah. Could you, could you give me an example of where something like this might come into play or, you know, you, th- this awareness that you're aware or you're aware that you're aware that you're aware and you, then you have a choice. Um, how, how does this work for you just on a daily basis? Just kind of like a, a normal thing that you might stop and go, Oh wait, I'm perceiving this through a lens right now. Let me back up and, Dis- disentangle myself from it and become a little more neutral. I'll, I'll, I'll try and make it as uh, personal as possible. Um, okay. Like, let's say I'm experiencing anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and I start, you know, getting into a story about what's happening. You know, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. And I'm kind of, I've got automatic thoughts running in the background. And I recognize through my own nervous system, just by realizing, hey, I'm starting to get worked up. I'm starting to feel a little tightness in my chest. My heart's beating a little faster. My breathing's a little more shallow. 
okay, I'm in a stress situation. How am I seeing this? What, what lens am I applying? What's going on? How can I look at this differently? Am I really in danger? Yeah. You know, no, it's not physical danger. Okay, so I'm in a mental construct where I'm creating some sort of anxiety. And by stepping out of it, that empowers me to look at my situation objectively, see what I'm thinking, see how I'm interpreting what someone might be saying to me. And do, do, do yeah. you then have the ability to like change the way that you're feeling about that situation? Because you recognize, although the way that I was feeling was, was uh, connected to the way that I'm interpreting, it was connected to the lens, these glasses that I'm using yeah. to see the situation through. And if I, if I pull back, I become more neutral. Like you said earlier, you've got a choice. Then, um, then do you have a it, choice to feel differently about what you're experiencing? Yes. Um, but it doesn't happen like that because you know when the the neurology neurobiology of a feeling is that in the stress situation we will get flooded with cortisol yeah. we'll have um you know the blood will go to our viscera and out of our frontal cortex and so it takes a minute to stop that cycle and a few seconds for the chemicals to kind of clear. So mm -hmm. just because I immediately recognize that doesn't mean I stop feeling what I'm feeling. That you're able to flush all that cortisol out of your system just by wishing. But, it. but, but by just recognizing that now I have a choice. Okay. I'm, I'm caught up. I know mm -hmm. what to do because I've been here before. Take a deep breath. Yeah. Right. And taking a deep breath, ironically calms me, which actually applies a different lens. Yeah, I'm no longer in my brainstem or amygdala or hippocampus. I'm now in my frontal cortex looking at it with other capabilities that have evolved in my system. So I have a new lens just by calming down. All right, Todd. Now, now I want to have some fun with you. All right, like some, some real, real fun with you. So when, when, when you went through uh, your faith crisis, your exit out of the church, because we've just described two moments in your life that are very different from one another. What one, you were sitting in church, they finished 10 minutes early, the bishop got up and started riffing about how you need to pay, pray and obey. And you recognize it as a uh, whatever self-fulfilling, whatever it was, feedback loop, self-reinforcing feedback loop. And that, that was the crack that then you, you left the church and you haven't talked about any of the ways that you had to deprogram the dysfunction that was inherent in the belief system of the Mormon church. But when I asked you on the survey, what's been the most difficult thing for you regarding, regarding the Mormon church, you said deprogramming the dysfunction inherent in the belief system. I want to hear as much as you're, you're willing to go back and share some of those stories that you told yourself as you were going through the church or going through this process of leaving the church before you got to the point where you realized that you were looking at things through lenses and you had a choice in that moment what was the experience like for you well it, it, it was a it was traumatic actually because um i was so embedded i was 41 42 years old yeah. So I, I had spent a significant amount of time in the church. All of a sudden it deconstructs and my marriage ends. 
you know, my marriage didn't survive. So now I'm ostracized from my family. My marriage is breaking up. I no longer have the lens and comfort or support system. I literally like on my own. And so at the time I was like hopeless, despondent. You know, I was like, well, what's the point? And uh, I was like, well, I haven't got anything to lose and no, nobody's going to come validate me. Nobody's going to come make me feel better. It's up to me. So what thoughts do I have? What, how am I looking at this that is adding to my suffering or creating my suffering? And what opportunity might be here? And as I began to just at some level accept that I was in a mess, The, it lowered the resistance. It opened my perception to investigate it. And then out of that, I mean, in retrospect now, how, how all these years later, I can say that was one of the best things to ever happen to me. Yeah. And at the time, I would have said it was the worst. Yeah. I, I also heard you make this move that is really interesting to me, Todd, because mm -hmm. you, you, you seem to ask yourself, what are the thoughts that I'm thinking about this situation that are contributing to my own suffering? And that seems like a really advanced, responsible move to, to ask yourself, like to recognize there is a relationship between the way that I'm feeling and the thoughts that I'm thinking. And it's me, I'm the one, like what, where could I make changes in my own thinking process that would reduce my own suffering. I, I, I don't hear that a lot in ex-Mormon circles. I, I hear a lot about how these people are doing these horrible things and how can I get them to stop? Right. I don't hear a lot and, of what am I doing about the way that I'm thinking that I could change this and find some peace. Yeah. I, I mean, when it first happened, it wasn't like I stumbled upon this light and the light switch went off. Yeah. No, I was in, crippling anxiety, almost not functioning. And I literally had to meditate just so I could breathe. Yeah. But meditation, mindfulness has you looking at your thoughts. It creates a separation between you and your thoughts yeah. and your thoughts and your feelings. So in that space and through that practice, it just gradually built into an ability and a way of looking at things, you know, detachment created a space, but I think, you know, one of the damaging things about being raised in a cult that doesn't go away the moment you debunk that belief system or that lens is that you still, you are right. We are raised at such a deep level to have an external locus of control that Everything happens outside of me. They're the bad guys. I, they did this to me. Yeah. Whereas when you take control of your own life and your own perceptions and your own decisions and your own beliefs, and you dare to question, you know, then you shift or can shift to more of an internal locus of control. And I am the common theme in every experience I have. 
right? So yeah. it's me. Yeah. How how did you how did you come to that place where you could make that shift in, instead of looking at that external locus and saying it's them, mm -hmm. it's their fault, they're bad, they did this to me, I'm the victim here, to to where you're recognizing, okay, wait, I I have a role in what's going on here. There's something about this. I'm the I'm I, I'm a common denominator in every single one of these experiences. It's all being filtered through my own mind. And right. maybe the way that I'm thinking about this is impacting this, this crippling anxiety that I'm feeling. Like, did, did you get to the point yeah. where you felt like I am the cause of my own crippling anxiety, not these things that are outside of me? Did you make that shift? Um, it, it was really a gradual shift mm -hmm. um, because before I was totally like, this is happening to me, ex-wife bad, Mormon church bad. Yeah. You know, every, you know, I was, I was full on it in that way of thinking, but I did at some level recognize that I'm the common denominator, yeah. that my thoughts do influence how I feel. And I did begin to detach and examine what I thought, what I felt. And the very process of um, reconstructing my belief system meant that I had to choose what my values were. Mm -hmm. And part of me, I think there was a superstitious part of myself that was like, God, you know, this is a test or, you know, God's going to condemn me if I get this wrong. And I had to like, at the deepest level go, well, what, what could I answer God with? What, what, what leg could I stand on? If um, I chose this as my, the basis of my, my morality on which I base decisions. And I, I came down to, you know, something that's pretty common, you know, is it fear or is it love? Mm. This sounds and like a, a course in miracles inspired. Yeah, and, and that's probably where they, I, that idea came from. I don't know, but, yeah. but, but that was like my bottom line, you know? So, and then I, I, you know, I'm a voracious reader, but I've been fascinated with psychology, neuroscience, yeah. spirituality, yeah. all the, all these things that give some sort of explanation. And it's interesting that we personalize everything so much because we're all raised in a culture. It may not be as virulent as a cult, but we're presented with a way of reality that we just take on. Yeah. Every single person on this planet. Every single person. Yeah. And, and, and in fact, that's not a bad thing, right? Because we have to do that to survive. Right. Yeah. We have, we have to absorb it. And plus, you know, we have a natural uh, need to belong, but I think when I look back, having, having a kind of just jumped into it head on, like bring it, let's, let's, let's break it all down. Let's rebuild. Let's see where we can go with it. I realize now that I am now on a path of individuation. I am breaking out of all the culture, all the places it has told me who I am. That isn't really me. Mm. So this, this applied, you know, I live in Mexico. I consider myself a human. I don't consider myself an American. 
you know, I'm, I don't identify with a political system. I believe we're all, you know, you could say brothers and sisters, we're all in this together. We're yeah. all part of it. We all have a vested interest in helping each other in taking care of the planet. Yeah. When it all boils down to it, that's where it is. And the politics come and go. This system of belief, this philosophy, they, they change every 30, 50, 100,000 years, whatever. They're arbitrary. They're temporary. Yeah. Yeah. And they're configurations of neurons that exist inside of human beings' heads. Exactly. So they're <laughs> And they constructs. get projected onto the outside world, and we think that it's real. Exactly. And it does. And it becomes real. It becomes the, the blueprint for a reality. And, but and, yeah. And that concept just fascinated me to no end because yeah. I was like, wait, so a construct can exist in the mind mm -hmm. and then it becomes part of the external reality. Yeah. And that's kind of where I began to explore magic and shamanism mm. because it was like, okay, maybe I can, you know, use this for my own benefit. Maybe I can create constructs that can ripple out and, sh and al alter reality. Yeah. So, so one of the questions that I asked on this thing that you filled out um, was, what are your greatest accomplishments? What are you most proud of? And I said, go ahead and brag. No one will hold against you. And you had four words, healing my core trauma. Yeah. Those are your greatest and, accomplishments. And I think with that, I think this is what you're talking about here, being able to create constructs in your mind that have an impact in the world. And in this case, you were healing some core trauma by changing the way that you viewed things, changing your mind, uh, learning, studying, becoming more self-aware. Could, could you talk about this? Like what, what were oh. some of your core traumas and how did you heal them? Huh. Um, this, is, this is interesting because- Or in the process of healing them. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, think, I think trauma is part of the human condition. Mm -hmm. How would you define and trauma? What, what are we talking about when you say trauma? Trauma, when I say core trauma or trauma, I, I, I do think it's important to define that because, you know, it, it is the place or the event that happens to us as an individual, and it's completely individual and you know, specific to that person, where something happens to us where we break our fundamental trust with life. And at that moment, we lose trust in ourselves. And a part of our consciousness breaks off and it attempts to survive. It's, it's main focus from then on is I never want to experience that again. Yeah. And it, because it happens young, it, it's, it lives in implicit memory. So it's not something we can untangle with the mind. And I realized that, as I was operating from the assumption that I create my own re reality, but there's something subconscious manifesting this, what could that be? And I would just investigate deeper and deeper. I, I felt like 
whatever's happening on the outside of the world is the symptom. But the cause is within. And that's a different lens to approach life from everything is without happening to me. And at any rate, um, it, I realized that there were these behaviors that were operating where I, I ventured to become an entrepreneur. And I realized I had this fear of success. And I couldn't explain why it was there. I couldn't logically understand it. I had the talent, I had help, I had resources, but something in me was terrified. Yeah. And I was like, what the hell is that? And, and so I, you know, I began to investigate and go deeper and deeper. And this will bring up a couple of different things. One, we really need help. This isn't a, a journey we can do entirely on our own. Um, but I, I got to a place where I was led back to when I was born. Mm. And when I was born, I um, was born six weeks premature. I had jaundice and I was on life support. So I was fighting for my life. I was separated from my mother and placed in a box. And I have no um, pictures, no words for that, but that set a template in my nervous system of terror, hmm. of being alone, of being all on my own, yeah. of life not being safe. And for that to happen, there must be something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Not and not, not worth not worth held on to held, or, cared yeah. for, safe. Yeah. yeah. And 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 it was kind of like, what the hell hell is this place? You know, that it's so cruel and awful. What did I do to deserve to come here? Mm -hmm. And so when I was led back to that time, I realized that a part of my awareness that had been with me all this time, that I had actually cultivated through the practices I was doing, through the work I was doing, even though it may appear like I was so different, so far removed, you know, down this rabbit hole that, you know, from the outside, how the world might judge success. It led me to a place where I got help and there, the circle was completed. It was almost like the intelligence that I am knew that I would circle back to the time where this break happened. And when I recognized that I had temporarily lost myself to come back to myself, that trust in life came back. And that template of terror is no longer operating in my nervous system. Mm -hmm. So the template of terror was a kind of sense of being rejected, being abandoned, uh, being alone, um, being not worthy, 
Am, am all, I getting that right? All, all of those all, things? All of that. And since I think this happens to everyone and the ego gets built upon that separated consciousness. Those subconscious programmings running yes. behind the scenes. And so you'll, you'll hear in spiritual circles, you know, um, some suffering is the illusion of separateness. Well, it's not an illusion if you aren't fully aware of this uh, self that's larger than your conception of yourself. Yeah. Until that becomes a personal experience. It's an intellectual exercise. It's a belief, mm -hmm. but it's not yours to claim and operate from. Yeah. You, the way that you described it, you said uh, something about becoming of the aware of the intelligence that I am, which I got a little smile on my face for a couple of reasons with that. Uh, the intelligence that I am, I want to hear you talk about that a little bit more. What is the intelligence that, you are Todd. The intelligence that's in you, the intelligence that's in everything, the, the intelligence that the universe is. And why do, why do you, why do you use the word intelligence? Um, because it's aware it's sentient, it's conscious, it's alive. And how did, how did you come to this awareness that it's sentient, aware, and alive? There were a number of experiences that, that led to this. And I think I, I have an interesting story. I, um, like when I started apprenticing with the, the Blackfoot, mm -hmm. I, um, what led to that? is the, the church, you know, I deconstructed that. And I had, begin, had begun to have a couple like mystical experiences. Um, this one time I was meditating and I, um, I reached this place where I was part of everything and wanting nothing. There was nothing to want. And, and it was like a taste of nirvana. And I wanted to stay in that state of being like forever. I didn't want to come back to life. I didn't want to come back to deal with the craziness in this world, the, the vulnerability and difficulty of being a human being. And especially one that was in the state I was in at the time. <laughs> and so that, that was a taste of it. So I kind of got this feeling. I felt like there was a place in, within me that I seriously could have chosen to remain there. I, I, I really felt that like, I don't have to persist in this body and whatever I can go in, whether that means I die or stay gone mentally or whatever. There was a sense that I could stay there. But there was also this like impression, like go back. Mm -hmm. and, and and how did you get to this place todd um i i was meditating and i was i was literally like going through everything that arose within me that felt like a problem and i 
let it go. And I was able, for whatever reason that time, to let it go. And I let go layer upon layer upon layer until I found my, I did, it was like an, a, an accident, a happy accident. Um, but I just, I went to this place of total bliss and connection. And I realized, you know, as I read the accounts of that, that that was something I had touched, but it wasn't something that I was in touch with every moment. Mm. And that was a distinction for me that made all the difference, you know? Um, so I touched that and I began, okay, there's something to religion. There's something to the universe. There's something, I don't know what that thing is, but I've got to find out. And so I was kind of investigating, you know, I was practicing meditation and I was kind of like, uh, just searching for a belonging. I was like, there's got to be something more. And uh, so I, I, I had this book that I grabbed off the shelf. And, and funnily enough, I think it was from Desert Industries. And it was a book on shamanism. And I don't know why I picked this up, because I don't even think I knew what it was. Mm. I, don't, I don't think I knew what it was. But th this person was given their personal account. And they were describing an experience where they were on an operating table surrounded by their family. And they were floating above their body, looking down on everything. And she said, I was not born in my spiritual home. And for what, you know, at that moment, that just hit me like a ton of bricks because I could say the same thing. I was raised in a cult by people who were dysfunctional. They did, you know, they were so embedded in a dysfunctional belief system and so convinced that that was the solution to everything that they weren't emotionally mature, physically available, competent adults to raise me. I wasn't born in my spiritual home. And, and I just started weeping. Like it just emotionally, it just started flooding out. And, um, and I'm, I'm sitting there outside on my deck and as, as the tears are flowing, a cardinal comes and lands on my table and it's like three feet away from me and it's looking me dead in the eye. And I'm aware that it's aware. I'm aware that it's aware that I'm aware of it. There was this connection of sentience. There was a, the awareness that this came in answer to my call, whatever that was from my soul. And what was interesting is I was somewhat shocked by this. But as I was there communing with this cardinal, memories came back in my mind of times I was in nature, of times I was fishing, hiking in the mountains, and, um, encounters with eagles and deer and elk and stuff that I had had through just my experiences came flooding back. And it was almost like nature was telling me I spoke that language. I just didn't recognize it at the time. And so I was like, okay, this has something to do with nature and mother earth, you know? Um, so I'm like, who will know better than Indians? Hmm. So I went to a sweat lodge and I'm in the sweat lodge and 
I'd never been to one, never researched it, I, anything. I just went. And we're sitting in um, the, uh, the lodge that's, you know, constructed out of um, saplings and it's got, you know, wool blankets over top to keep the heat in. And then they heat these rocks in a fire and they bring it in and they dump water on the hot rocks to steam to, you know, adjust the intensity. Yeah. And anyway, it's so hot that it's almost singeing my nostrils. And I'm, I'm in this place where I'm, it's almost like I'm separate from my body because my body's going, get me the hell out of here. This is so uncomfortable. You know, right. I'm going to die to this other awareness that was like, oh my God, this is transcendent. And those two experiences were happening in stereo. You know, they were co-incident. And anyway, it got so hot that they're like, okay, we're going to let everybody out, you know, take a, take a break. We've got to cool it down. And so I go and I've got to pee at this point. So I go to pee and this butterfly follows me. And I walk off quite a ways and it follows me the whole way. And then it follows me the whole way back. And there was this man who wasn't in the lodge. And he said, did you see that butterfly that followed you? And I was like, yeah, because I had that same sense of what I had with the cardinal. And he said to me, we're Sixico. We are the butterfly people. Hmm. And, and so... To have like a physical manifestation as well as, you know, a mental journey to communion with something greater than myself convinced me that there was, not on all levels, but intellectually, I, I knew what I experienced. And so following that path, going to ritual and just honestly, you know, having um, healings done on me and all kinds of things, all of it led to a point where everything converged and I was led back to my initial core trauma, which brought it all full circle. Mm. And so now I'm at this point where it's like, you know, Hey, I'm not a guru. I'm not, enlightened i haven't reached the state i'm not but i'm allowed to um, embrace my life the mess and all of it I, I can be human but i now have access to a peace i have access to a communion with an with an awareness that is greater than my conception of what i have been thinking i was all this time yeah and so now it's that's like, huge. That, that's so huge, Todd, like that, that, that awareness that you're part of something that's much bigger and more aware than what you have ever been aware of. And exactly. And kind of trusting and, it, even in your ignorance of it. it. Amen. And, and that is now where I'm at in the journey. And it's like, Oh, this is so cool. This is yeah. so exciting. Um, and I'm in this place where, I'm not so bothered by things that happen mm -hmm. outside. Mm -hmm. I don't, I want nice things, but I'm not caught up in, I have to have it to mean something or it defines my worth. It, yeah. And then there's this sense of like, I am inherently worthy 
of myself and because I exist. There, there right. isn't, <laughs> which is, a, you know, a major undoing of the, the mindfuck that we got. Yeah. One of the questions that I asked on this questionnaire was, what do you think it means to be empowered? And you said to be connected to source. And, and, I, and you, I, you capitalized the S. On yeah. Source. And, and, I, and source is another name for what I was calling intelligence or the awareness mm-hmm. that is greater than me. Um, that's where we all come from. And that's what we all are. We can never be anything but. In fact, the only separation exists because of the lens of separation that we're wearing or using. We are not separate. We cannot be separate, but we can convince ourselves that we are. Okay. I'm glad you said that because this is the question that I wanted to ask about uh, the way that you answered that question. So, so the question, what does it mean to be empowered? is to be connected to source. And what I heard you just say is that you're actually always connected to source, but you're not always aware that you're connected to source. Right. And, um, and so it's that space where you're not aware that what, what's going on when you're not aware that you're connected to source. Well, in that case, you know, we're, we're in our ego. We're in that fraction of our consciousness that thinks it's separate. We're operating from that. We're following its agenda. We're buying into the cultural norms. We're blaming the people around us for our problems. We're, we're reactive. We're, we're, we're looking through we the lenses as if we are the lens in the lenses. Exactly. <laughs> and then that's what we see. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, so what, what are you going to do with all of this? Now, now you've, got, you've got this place where you are more aware now of this greater intelligence, this source, this thing that you are an expression of, that you're mm-hmm. connected to, just like everyone else and everything else, butterflies, cardinals, all, all of it is this, this ecosystem interconnected environment that you're a part of. What, what do you do with that then for the rest of your life, Todd? Uh, well, I'm sure that will evolve. And, and the awareness that is greater than me seems to always lead me to something greater than what I can conceive of. But right now, there's this real urge to ease suffering. There's this real urge to help people understand that a lot of their suffering is created from the lens they wear. How do you do that without gaslighting people? That <laughs> seriously, that's the biggest the yeah. biggest question that I have because, you know, when 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 I think about you know, like what Wendy and I are going to do with this podcast, which we're still trying to figure out what we're going to do with this podcast, but it's this this group that's called what is it? Empowered former LDS or something like that. Right. And like how do you go in you, you know, you talked about your experience when you're first out of the church you're in so much pain and suffering. You don't really recognize the distinction between internal thoughts and like the external focus of attention. You know, we, we talked about that earlier. If, if I were to tell you in that early stage, Hey, Todd, you're the, you're the source, you're the main source of your suffering right now because of the way that you're thinking about it. You would have probably been really upset with me and told me that I was gaslighting you. And that's just what the Mormons do. Yeah, just blame, you're blaming it on me. Don't don't, yeah. don't shift and blaming it on me. 
you're so victim blaming. I, yeah. Um, <laughs> which, uh, which is a thing. And like, I don't right, want to go and I don't right. want to do that to people. I don't want to then trigger them and going, yeah, you're the, co-. but at the same time, like there, there is actually an escape hatch and you've got your finger on it. <laughs> you know, if, if, if you learn how to push exactly. that escape hatch from your own suffering, um, so what, what do you think? How, you, can, you can help me uh, solve this problem, Todd. Well, the first thing is I'm not going to try and convince anybody. Yeah. There, our point of view, our ego, our lens is, the, you know, the Native Americans would say that is our sacred right to have. Mm-hmm. So... Everybody's, everybody's individual subjective experience, whatever it is, is whatever it is. Yeah. But when I look around, I do see people questioning and searching, right? Yeah. And how many people are out there claiming to have the way? Yeah. Or the answer when it isn't. (laughs) And, and so like, I know, I would only want to help people see what they have access to within themselves. Mm -hmm. And, and I think having dug through it, it intellectually, neurologically, experientially in the practice of my daily life over years, I can now share it in a way that I can make it make sense to people if they are open. And I, I believe that the intelligence that is greater than me will just bring those people to me as I put out mm. what I know. So I have to share it. I have to, I'm now in the process of getting it all out of my experience. In fact, I dropped out of the, off the radar for a long time as far as the ex-Mormon world and that because I realized like, one, I didn't know what I was doing then I realized that I was talking into a virtual world and it meant nothing. And I was sort of like, I I just got out of it. I didn't want anything to do with Mormonism. I didn't want, you know, I just stepped completely out of it. So now I'm in back in this place where it's like, no, these are the people that I know how to help. I know how they were raised to think. I know some of the pitfalls that they're going to experience on yeah. their journey. They, they don't have, have context. They, they may feel the pain they feel acutely, but they can't see that it has the potential to lead someplace awesome. That idea might be totally foreign. Had I known that me losing my religion, my family and everything could, would ultimately lead to me f- like accomplishing a deeper purpose that I had been searching for without knowing I was searching for. Had I known that then that that was even a possibility, it would have been so much easier. That's really beautiful, Todd. So, so what do you do now? You, you offer your support to people. How, how do you do that? What's your modality? Yeah. So I, I have a number of, of, of ways. I mean, I've done it energetically. I've, done. But I, right now, I think I'm going to put together a, a deconstruction, reconstruction toolkit for people mm-hmm. who have left religion. And 
I'm going to put that out there in kind of a general form that, you know, it applies to everybody. Then from there, people that like what I say, like how it works, I will take them deeper if they want to go. And so I don't know how it's going to work, you know, but that's what I I'm love doing it. right now. I love it. I love it. I just stay in touch with me. Let me help you with it. <laughs> I okay. love, that sounds I, I, awesome, yeah. Todd. I love that. I love that. Absolutely. And I mean, because um, like I feel for the people who don't know that they have a lens on them, my family included, yeah. you know, they don't realize what they're sacrificing, what they're missing, what the, the harm they cause and perpetuate. And so, but I was there, so I can't judge them. I totally understand. So I can let them be as they are and have compassion. And I don't need to let, I don't need them to validate me anymore. I don't need to prove to them that I'm worthy. I don't need to prove to them I'm not lost. Yeah. If they want to believe that, that sucks, and that, but that hurts them. That's their belief. That's their sacred point of view that they can have. But if they're willing to challenge that, you know, like an egg has got a crack from the inside, you know? Yeah. And so, but I believe, you know, people will come to a point, some people will come to a point where they're ready for the next thing. Well, I got to reach back you know, I don't, I don't claim to be at the top, but I just claim to be high enough that I can reach a hand down. Yeah. You know, or, or a cross. Cause I don't really see it as a hierarchy. I, I, and I can hear that struggle in what you're saying. And so you're, you're probably going to have a, a, a tough time with this next and probably final question that I'm going to ask you, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to, to speak for source here in a moment, this, this great intelligence that is holding all of these people that you're talking about, these, these family members, these, these Mormons that are, or ex-Mormons that are recently going through this and don't realize that they're looking through a lens. You said something like they don't really know what they're sacrificing, what, what could be, um, but they're, they're moving, they're learning, they're, you know, when they're ready, they'll get to it in whatever iteration of that. And I know it's hard to say those things without feeling like, wait, now I'm judging them. I don't want to judge them. I got to back away from the way that I'm expressing yeah. this. How do I say this in like non LDS missionary terms that I've got to convert <laughs> the world. But right. when, when you think about source, you think about this greater intelligence, what, who, who is, has created this container and, and all of the moving pieces and everything inside that is, at least that's the way that I view it. What, why, what do you think that source thinks and feels about these people, you and I included, where we all are, what we're all going through? Well, That's the question. Yeah, there is, there is no judgment. There is absolutely no judgment. It so is everybody's in, of, in the exact perfect place? Yeah, it is part of the, an evolution that is happening. Whether you're aware of it or not, you are part of it. Um, yeah, it's, it's like, whether you get there in this instant, we're in eternity, we're in eternity. It, it, it doesn't matter if it's today, tomorrow, a thousand years from now, 
however we want to persist in the illusion. Because ultimately, it's us that's buying into it. Ultimately, it's us that is choosing to accept the external reality. We may not recognize that's what we're doing, but we are making that choice every time we participate in it, every time we uh, promote it in our thoughts. The so there is no judgment. It just, there isn't better. It, my concern, I guess, that from a human level is we suffer enough. It's getting to the point where we've got to alleviate suffering and we've got to heal so that we can move in a different direction because we're, we're, we're going to destroy ourselves if we don't. Yeah. And, you know, hey, if that happens... You know, it'll all start again. There will be humans that, you know, thousands, millions of years, it will start the cycle again. And maybe they won't be so egotistical next time. Who knows? But, but it all has an upward trajectory without, it doesn't have to be done at a certain time. It's, it's just that we're all here and because I am part of source, because of the love I am, I don't, want to suffer. I don't want to suffer personally. I, and in fact, the more I help people not suffer, the better it is for me. So, and even at a selfish level, it, it's better if we, you know, I have a friend who says, why, why don't we create Disneyland instead of hell? And I've well, got a friend who says Disneyland is hell, so we should get them together. Exactly. So <laughs> perspective. <laughs> But, but the, you know, the, uh, that is just what wants to come out of me. I don't want to work a corporate job. I don't want to serve a system that's another cultural paradigm. Yeah. I want to share my heart and help people reduce their own suffering and empower them. And I think that that's valuable. I think so, too. And I want to thank you for being here and spending this last hour with me, Todd. It was really great to hear like I, you can see me, right? Yes. So you saw me and smiling, I, like a big smiling yeah. on my face this whole time. It's like, it's like I'm listening to a different version of myself talking about things that <laughs> I've come to a lot of the same or very similar types of um, realizations, insights, stories, fictions, however you want to call it. Um, but before we we totally stop, is there anything that you want to say that you feel like you didn't in the last hour? Um, the only thing I, I would say is if we look at life like it's a problem, if we look in terms of there's a problem with me, there's a problem with life, we're going to see problems. We're applying a lens of problem solution. You're bringing it back to confirmation bias. I love it. Todd. Yeah. But if we, if, if you change that just a bit and go, what is this trying to teach me? Mm -hmm. What can I learn from this? How can I use this? If you can depersonalize it enough to begin to approach life that way, over time, you're going to see that you learn from everything and that you can trust something greater than yourself. Just yeah. through the simple act of everyday living, whatever that looks like in your life. Amen. And, and Glenn, uh, uh, 
I likewise, I'm, you know, it's so glad to meet someone who, who you know, I, I, I wish this wasn't one sided in a way that, you know, like you were interviewing me. I can't wait to just talk to you, you know, like one to one. Oh, yeah. You could interview you know, me anytime you and want. Riff and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, I think we could have some fun. We, should, we definitely sure could. Yeah. Do, do you know do you know what I've done with Infants on Thrones and Bathing with God? Are you familiar with my stuff? Um, I, I listened to a little bit just to catch up. But like right at the time I was getting out of the church was right about the time Infants on Thrones was kind of breaking. Oh. That was right about the <laughs> yeah. time I was like, OK, I'm, get, I'm getting out of all of all of this. And, yeah. But I, I did listen to the things you said. And it's like, you know, we we have a very similar kind of approach. And I don't yeah. I'm 53 years old. How old are you? 50. 50. Okay. So, yeah. you know, it, uh, age-wise we're kind of the same. So whatever trajectory this is, you know, I think we see eye to eye yeah. in similar ways on a lot of things. Yeah. My, my, my background, I, I got a master's degree and this close to a PhD in folklore and mythology. And it's just been all like, I, I just, you, you talk about the, the ways that, um, we have these constructs and these, these prisms that we view reality. It's all like these traditional influences. And you talked about culture that we're born into and the way that that shapes how we see ourselves, how we see the world around us. Like I've been, I, I've been seeing the world through that lens for a very, very long time. And it, it makes all of this make so much more sense to me um, from that perspective, at least. But I, I wrote a book a couple of years ago called Bathing with God which was my way of playing with these ideas of source energy, this intelligence that's greater than all of us, that kind of is us, that's within the, you know, it's the energy that animates every atom. And, you know, we're, we're just in it. We are it. And uh, I, I made a podcast called Bathing with God as well, that if you haven't heard it, maybe you'd like it. Maybe not. Maybe, uh, maybe I, I, I did listen to that. And I was, no, I was, I, I loved it yeah. because that's kind of how source is to me. It's kind of like, yeah. you know, it, it entertains your, your ego and your silly questions, the yeah. personal nature of it. It doesn't <laughs> care. It doesn't have an agenda. It's like, yeah, okay. But, you know, yeah. but at the same time, it will ask you a question that opens you up to where you can see your own limitation. Yeah. 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 Cool. Very All cool. right. Well, nice to meet you, Todd. Nice to meet you, Brian. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll stay in touch. All right, please take care. Thank you. I release control and surrender to the flow of love that will heal me. Thank you for listening to the Empowered Former LDS podcast. Now, if you found today's episode interesting or valuable in any way, please share it with someone that you care about. You can also give us a five-star rating and write a review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you use. You can find Wendy and Glenn at the Empowered Former LDS group on Facebook, 3.1 thousand members strong, where you can also discuss this episode with others and sign up yourself to share your own story and thoughts about empowerment on this podcast. Thanks again for listening, and remember, wherever you're at, whatever is going on, you got this. Thank you.